Good evening. It's great to see all of you here at Crosstown tonight. You know, as a church, we have been um, looking at the Christmas story, and I know that you think that as a pastor, it would be really easy to talk about the Christmas story or to do things like Easter, and, um, but the thing about the Christmas story, and I think the Christmas season for all of us, is that it's something that we go through so often that it's hard to see something in it. You know, I know that may sound really crazy, but we're so familiar with the story. We, we know what's going on in the story. It's really hard to kind of see something in it. And, and maybe that's how it has been for this time for you in Christmas season is that it's been hard to see what God is doing. Maybe it's the shopping and, and, and going to, um, I had to go to Publix today. I mean, my wife asked me to go to Publix. It was like 11 o'clock and it's like, that's, that's so wrong. You, you, don't, you don't ask me to go to Publix. So I had to take my two son-in-laws with me to go to Publix because you know it takes three guys to accomplish the task of one woman. And so there we are, kind of like running down the aisles like commando style. But you know, you get all caught up in the Christmas season and you get into an event and, and yes, you're in the event but you don't actually see the event. Or as a pastor, you've talked about an event so many times that you're like, what do I do to talk about it new? I mean, what new twist or turn on it do I do in order to, to make this interesting, especially when everybody's already seen the movie. Everybody already knows how everything turns out. And so what we've been learning about is how God wants us to see. He wants us to have, an, and this may sound like an elegant word, but he wants us to have an epiphany. And an epiphany is like a eureka moment. It's an aha moment when you all of a sudden you see something for the first time or you get it. But an epiphany is a little bit different than a eureka moment because it's an all of a sudden seeing of something that alters the direction of your life. It changes the course of where you were going as a result of this discovery of something new. And, but for a lot of us, Christmas has become complex with tradition. There's so many other things that are a part of it. There's other, uh, like, mythologies or other stories that have kind of merged together with it. We've, we've got Jesus. We've got Frosty the Snowman. We've got Santa Claus. We've, we've got shopping. We've got those people coming over to our house that we don't want them to come over, but they have to come over because they're our family. You know, the, all the complications that you have with life and, and things that you have to deal with during the Christmas season that sometimes you just miss it and you don't see what God is doing. You know, and I've had to ask myself why sometimes I don't see God in a thing like Christmas. Maybe it's doubt. Maybe the story is just too fantastic. Maybe it's just too wonderful. I mean, a baby being born in a manger, uh, uh, shepherds in a field, magi arriving with gifts. I mean, sometimes it's just maybe too amazing for us. Uh, it, maybe it's the busyness of it. Maybe it's the familiarity of it for our lives. But God wants us, even in the next, we will only be spending 30 more minutes together. Now, that usually gets a cheer when you say that in a church. But, you know, we'll be spending 30 minutes together. But here's the thing. I'm praying that over the next 30 minutes that you'll have an epiphany, that you will see something about God in the Christmas story, something that God is saying to you to alter your path that you, you've never seen before. 
We're not the first people to look at a God story and not get it. You know, um, even people in the story didn't get it. I mean, there's this guy, Zachariah. Now, he's married to a woman named Elizabeth, and it's part of the Luke story of, of Christmas. And they're about to, they're being told that they're going to have a baby, and the baby's going to be John the Baptist. But here's, here's uh, Zechariah. He's being told by an angel that he's going to have a baby. And as he's listening to the angel, he's like, yeah, I don't get it. And he begins throwing some, you know, objections on why it wouldn't happen to him. Now, here's the interesting thing about Zechariah. He was born into getting it. He was born into a tribe that serves at the temple. And then he was professionally a priest. So he came by it not only by birth, but he came by it by job. So not only that, it was his night to be in the temple serving and burning incense to the Lord. So if you thought there was anybody that would get God doing something, you would think it would be a guy like this, somebody so front-end loaded that he would get and see what God was doing. But sure enough, when the angel shows up, he doesn't get it at all, and, and the, you know, he doesn't believe a thing that the angel's saying to him. And I think sometimes, maybe us as Bible belters, we were born into this. Even if you don't believe in God, you were, maybe you were born into the Bible belt or you moved here and, and, you know, it's part of the tradition of us as a culture to celebrate Jesus, to go to church, to, uh, you know, read the scriptures. And, and maybe it becomes a part where it's just, you know, we're born into it, but we still don't really see it and we really don't see what it's all about. And then, we're not alone also, when we learned about Joseph and Herod, two other people in this story of the birth of Jesus. You're familiar with Joseph, the, who be, who's becoming married to Mary and, and then becomes the father of Jesus, and, and he's involved in the story. And you remember Herod, and he responds in a different kind of way. But the interesting thing about Herod and Joseph is that they're provided the exact same information. They, get the, they see the same star. They get to talk to the same magi, or let's call them mathematicians or astronomers of their day. So they get to look at the same data. They, they go into the exact same scriptures and, and begin to go and talk about what the prophets were talking about the birth of the Messiah. So they're both exposed to the exact same information. But as we look into the story, even though they, they saw the data, the empirical evidence, they did not see the same way. Joseph, when he's visited by an angel, when he looks into the scriptures, when he sees the star, he responds to the plan of God. He wants to be a part of what God is doing. That's what he sees. He looks at the Christmas story and he's like, man, I want to be a part of this. I see God doing something. And we learn that in order to see something, you have to focus on something. And in order to focus on something, you have to value that something. And that there's something about this valuing that determines what you end up seeing. Is a little part of your eye. It makes up a very small percentage of the, the human eye, of the human retina. And only that small little area is high def. The rest of the human vision is 
low resolution, and it's peripheral. So we have to decide as human beings what objects get the high-def vision that we like so much as human beings. So what we have to do is to choose what to look at, what to focus on. But in order to choose what to focus on, we have to make an internal decision on what's worth looking at or what do we value looking at. It's kind of like when you see a really cool car drive by if you're into cars and you see an old 1956 Ford pickup truck go by and all of a sudden you turn your head and you look because in your mind, in, inside of your value system, that's a kind of vehicle that you turn your head, you focus on and you look at. Well, what Joseph had decided is that what he was going to see, what he was going to focus on, was going to be a result of what he valued. And what he valued is what's God's plan? What's God doing? So when he looks at the star, when he talks to the Magi, when he gets involved of uh, looking at the scriptures, the result that he comes up with is, hey, I want to be a part of this. Yes, 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 I want to do what God's doing. I want to be a part of this story. But then there's Herod. Same data, same information. See, for a lot of us, we kind of hold off on believing God because we're waiting for better data. The data is already out there. We see what we want to see. For a lot of people, they reject the idea of God because they see the world's filled with so much evil. Well, if you value the concept that the world is filled with evil and it's always disappointing, that value will determine your focus, which will then, you will see everything bad about the world. And you won't hesitate to point out, if God is good, why is there so much bad? But rather, if you're focused on the idea of seeing what God is doing in the world, it's amazing that value system will drive your focus, which all of a sudden you'll begin to see what God is doing. Well, we end up with Herod, because Herod has a whole different value system, which means he has a whole different seeing system. He sees it differently. Even though he's got the same magi, the same astronomy, the same mathematics, the same scriptures, he's got the exact same star up overhead, he decides that he's going to send out his armies, and he's going to wipe out every male child under the age of two. It's like, uh, it's like what is this? Aren't you watching the same movie? Isn't this the exact same story? He's like, oh no, he's got good data. He knows exactly the data. Remember what he says to the, to the Magi. He says, go and find the Christ child so that I too may come and worship him. He knows that it all adds up to him bowing his knee to the Christ child. But as a result, he values something else. So he sees something else. What's he value? His position. His position provides him with power. His power provides him with control, provides him with profit. He's in charge of everything as a result of it. And because that's what he values, and that determines his focus and what he sees, then the Christ child is an enemy. And he deals with the Christ child like an enemy. You see, God wants us to see today, but will we? And for a lot of us, we've kind of held off on seeing God, and we think it's because God hasn't provided enough historical or astronomical or scientific information. 
But what if the information's already there? What if it's already embedded in the creation? What if it's already embedded in history? What if all the data's there and the reason why we're not seeing it is because it's not what we want to see or it's not what we value to see? So tonight, will you see? And the will you see will not be determined only by the actions of God, but it will be largely determined by yourself. And what will you see? But I think we have to ask ourselves one more question. What does God want us to see? I mean, because a lot of us, we weren't grown up in a vacuum. You know, we were raised as agnostics or atheists or Catholics or Baptists um, or, you know, just you know, with life experiences, with pain and difficulty and, and all kinds of crazy ideas about who God is. What does God want us to see? So, it brings us to the Christmas story. And it brings me to a, you know, I had to find a group of people in the Christmas story that were pretty much, I would say, didn't have any pro or anti-biased built into them. You know what I mean? Somebody who's not anti-God or somebody who's, you know, pro-religion. You know, it's, it's kind of like, let me find a group of people who are kind or in the middle here and, you know, and, and, and see how they respond. What do they see? Luke chapter 2, verse 8. And in the same region, there were some shepherds. You can always count on some shepherds. And staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. That's your first observation. That's your first see. Because a lot of us, when we think about God, when we think about this whole story of, of Christ, when we think about the religion of Christianity, for a lot of us, we see fear. For a lot of us, we see judgment. But the first thing, as they were terrified, as would be kind of how we would respond, they said, first of all, hey guys, guys, God, calm down. Don't be afraid. I don't know about you, but the way that I was raised, that was not the way that you saw God. And he goes on to say, the angel goes on to say, he says, behold, meaning I want you to not only witness, but I want you to see. I want it to go from here into here. I want you to behold it, hold it in, get this thing in here, see it. He says, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people, all the people, for today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Man, I know you're here, and maybe some of you are a little older like me. You're kind of like, well, Pastor Paul, you're going to have to talk to them about drinking, right? You are going to talk to them about that, aren't you? And you're going to talk to them about this over here. And it's like, no, no, I'm not going to say a thing to them about any of that. Well, you're going to have to tell them they're going to have to give up this. It's like, no, I am not going to tell them anything about that. Because I'm going to tell you what God wants you to behold. Don't be afraid. He's got terrific news for you. He wants you to see something that's amazing. And that today was born for us on this first Christmas, a Savior.
Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you, because sometimes we need to see a sign to prove an idea that's too big to believe. This will be a sign for you, because I know you're having a hard time seeing this. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men whom, with whom he is pleased. He's, God's like, listen, this, I got great joy for you. I've got good news for you. I don't want you to be afraid and I want you to experience peace. Peace between you and me is what God says. That, you know, I know, what, I know what kind of life you've lived. I know the difficulties. I know the mistakes that we've all made. And God says, hey, be, be, as a result of Jesus, peace. And then he says, not only that, I want you to have peace with you and your brother and your, and your sister and the people around you. He's like, that's what I want you to do. I don't, I don't want you fighting with them. I want, I want to bring you peace. And then there's one area of peace that I think God wants to let you know about. Is he, he wants you to have peace with you. You know, I think he wants you to end the war with you, not being good enough, not measuring up, self-loathing, not being the person that you think you're supposed to be. And God says, listen, don't be afraid. I got good news for you. I've got a savior for you, and I want you to have peace in your life. I love the way John the, ba John the Apostle would later describe it, what I call the big C. I mean, this is seeing it, the way that God sees it. He wrote it this way in John 1, verse 9. There was the true light which comes into the world. And in a moment, we're going to be lighting candles. The true light which comes into the world and enlightens every man and woman. It enables us to see. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him, he came to his own, and those who were his own did not, did not see it. They just, yeah, a carpenter from Nazareth, yeah, just don't see it. Can't receive that. But here's the great news. But as many as received him and receive him, to them he gives the power, the right to become the children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, or the perfection of man, but of the will of God. That's the big C right there, is that you, through Christ, can become a child of God, a beloved child of God. Hey, the star, hey, that was wicked awesome, okay? I mean, that's a really cool thing to see. The magi, that's cool. The angel's showing up. But here's the thing that God wants you to see. God wants you to see that he invites you to be his beloved child, that he's got a plan for you, to give you hope, not to hurt you, but to allow your life to experience his blessings for you. That's the big C of the Christmas story in the middle of everything that we do during this season. To see you have to focus. To focus, you have to pick one thing that you value above all else that you set your heart on. And tonight, God asks you to value the gift that he's given to you. 
That's his son. That's what he wants you to see. He wants you to see also your new life that he's got prepared for you. This is what it's all about. So as we enter into this moment of communion, let me invite you as you, as you come. Maybe you've done this a gazillion times before in, in your church experience where you come up and you take a piece of bread and you dip it into the wine or into the juice and, and you take it and eat it. And maybe all those times what you have seen is a piece of bread and a cup with juice or wine in it. But today, God wants you to see it. That God so loved the world, God so loved you, that he gave his only begotten son. I mean, that God wants you, when you hold that in your hand, when you dip it into the cup, he wants your heart to see I love you. You're beloved to me. And yes, I've seen everything you've done in your life. Everything you've done in your life. But don't be afraid. Don't run. Don't hide. I got good news for you. I've got grand plans for you. I've got good tidings. I want to declare peace between me and you. Between you and others and between you and yourself. So let me encourage you, as we prepare to enter into this seeing moment, we're offering you something better than a star in a manger. We're offering you the body and blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to see the love of God. And if while you're coming you have a child with you who's maybe a little too young to understand what's going on, bring them up anyway and let them see you take the cup and the bread. Let them see that you see what's important and that they will follow you as you begin to lead them. Father, we thank you for this moment. For once again, you are meeting with shepherds and with people like Zechariah who have doubts, Joseph who wants to know your plan, some of us are like Herod who like our positions and our, we like our power, but God, today we're willing to lay it down. Today we're willing to walk away from all the other things that we see as important in our lives, and in this moment, we desire to see your love for us in your Son, Jesus Christ. So Father, in this personal moment between you and us, we come to see.